scale the mountain, worshiping God from the songs of His people. <clears throat> well, on uh, Monday, uh, I uh, had the opportunity to go to the MLK celebration service over at Union Missionary. And uh, while I was there, I had this moment of thinking that the last few years, I don't know how you guys have felt, but it feels like since 2020 uh, to now, both feels like the fastest whirlwind and the longest 40 years of my life at the same time, right? Anyone else feel that way? And I was there and I just realized like, oh, there's so many people here that I care about a ton that I haven't seen in years. Like it's felt like I've haven't had the opportunity to see them in a long time. And so it was a really enjoyable service, and it was a great opportunity to see unity in churches across our city and uh, to, to be challenged together on those things and to celebrate the life of uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. together. Uh, and uh, really, if you go to one of those services ever, and I encourage you next year to take the opportunity to do so, it is not just a community celebration. You go to church, for sure. It is very fun. Uh, I love the worship there. It is great. So, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, but while I was there in thinking about this, uh, the text uh, for the evening's message was from Psalm 133. Um, on unity. The theme was unity in times like these. And our uh, sermon series in the book of Psalms, we had not planned on doing Psalm 133. But after hearing that, I thought we, we need to spend some time looking at Psalm 133. So we are going to be in that this morning. Uh, Psalm 133. Um, and uh, we're just going to go ahead and read that. All right. Whoop. I got it here. You're good. All right. A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. We, we talked about the, this is uh, another one of the Psalms of Ascent that we talked about last week. And so these are Psalms that were gathered together for uh, those who are making pilgrimages to Jerusalem for feasts and festivals. So there's a series of Psalms that are like this. And this is one of those. This is one written by David. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced His blessing, even life everlasting. Well, as I said, this is a psalm of ascent attributed to David. Uh, and, and last week's was written by Solomon. And both of those are uh, written at other times and then assembled together into these psalms of ascent. And this one is about unity and how precious is unity. Well, how precious is unity? Well, first of all, he tells us what unity is right at the beginning. He says, how, pleasant, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. And then the psalmist turns, David turns, into two pictures of how, pre- how precious this unity is. For the people of God. The first picture that he says is it is as precious as the anointing oil that is poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. It is as precious as this precious anointing oil. Now, a couple of things here. Oil uh, is in this culture was an expensive thing that thing uh, that made things smell really good. 
which was pretty important in a uh, in this time period. You wanted to smell good, right? I can imagine that uh, without the modern luxuries that we uh, enjoy, uh, a gathering like this might be a little smellier. Like, let's just imagine for a moment. It might be a little smellier in a gathering like this. And so, anointing oil is a very precious thing, right? Remember how uh, the interaction that Jesus has in which the disciples are like, wait a second, why are we spending, like, we use this precious oil. You anointed him with all of this oil. We could have sold that and given the money to the poor, right? Like, it was an expensive thing. Now, this is also anointing oil, which is to signify the priest being ordained and set apart for ministry. Now, this anointing set apart for ministry, this is described in Exodus chapter 29 describes the anointing ceremony for Aaron and his sons, for the priests. There were sacrifices involved in it, and then an anointing oil poured on Aaron. Aaron is the first of the priests, and Aaron and his sons start this priestly line. And so when the psalmist refers to Aaron, right, it's as pleasant, as, uh, as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head. He's referring to the priesthood. Right? He's referring to this, when you refer to the first of them, he's referring to the fullness of the priesthood. But, not just a little anointing. The way in which he describes this is not exactly as it's described in Exodus 29 in terms of the anointing that is given to Aaron. Aaron is anointed with oil, but not so much that it runs down his beard and gets all over his robe. It's like, Moses, chill, man. Like you poured the whole jug on him. Right? Aaron was more, it was more like uh, how we do baptisms, right? A little sprinkle. It wasn't a full dunk, right? But this is describing more like a full dunk, right? It's an overabundance of precious anointing oil. It's extravagance. Unity among God's people is as precious as the overflowing anointing on the priests. The second picture he gives is that of dew running down from Mount Hermon. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. Now, Mount Hermon and Zion here, two different things. Remember, Zion is, uh, refers to the city of David, Jerusalem. And, and more specifically to the Temple Mount, where the temple was built and where God dwelled with His people. Right? Now, Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in the region, right? It's far up north. Actually, Mount Hermon cannot have dew drip onto the mountains of Zion because they're very far geographically removed, right? And so the picture here is something a little different, right? It's not a, a, a straight-up like geographical, this uh, mountain range f- uh, flows dew down onto this one because that, that isn't possible. However... Uh, if, you, if you are looking at a map, they are Mount Hermon is north, so it does kind of look like that if you're looking at a map uh, with north up. But more so, it's looking at what does Mount Hermon do, and then what does Mount Zion do? Mount Hermon, the tallest mountain in the region, is known for the, it gets a lot of rainfall and a lot of snow, and it is known for providing uh, moisture and water and dew running down into the entire valley. 
And actually, there are springs at the base of Mount Hermon that feed the Jordan River, which runs all the way through Israel. And so, it is this uh, luscious land, this luscious valley being produced by the dew coming down from Mount Hermon. Zion is the Temple Mount, the place in which God dwells with His people, in which blessing flows down to God's people, just like Mount Hermon's dew flows down to the valley. Right? This, the Temple Mount has a blessing, right? There the Lord has pronounced His blessing, even life everlasting. And that blessing flows from the Temple, just like dew flows from Mount Hermon. So, in this text, we have Israel... Right? We have God's people, brothers in Israel, brothers and sisters in Israel, dwelling together in unity. We have temple language, Mount Zion, the blessings coming from the temple, and we have the priesthood together. Right? These three pictures Israel, the temple language, and priesthood. And unity among the people of God is as precious as the blessings of the priesthood and the temple. God dwelling with His people. Unity among God's people and unity with God. These pictures actually are more than just pictures of the preciousness of unity. They're also the means by which this unity would be gained. The priesthood. Why are these a people? Why is Israel a people at all? Well, they're a people... Because God has made them a people and they want to commune with God. And so they need the priesthood in order to commune with God. And so part of the way in which unity is achieved is through the priesthood. Uniting them together under God. The temple. God says, I will dwell with you. You will be my people and I will be your God. You will be my people and I will be your God. And I will dwell with you in the temple. The temple is a place in which unity is given. And finally, we see their blessing. There the Lord has pronounced His blessing, even life everlasting. Unity, as we can clearly see, as David clearly knows who's written this psalm, is not an easy thing. Right? If anyone knows that unity is not an easy thing, it would be David. Pretty quickly, they're not very unified, right? I mean, David's running for his life all the time after serving King Saul. They are not unified. And very quickly after David and Solomon, they are actually fully divided between the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah, right? God's people, if you look at the story of the Old Testament, you can see very clearly that God's people are a people that should be unified, but are divided. It's all the way through. And if you look at the New Testament, God's people in every book, we talked about this last week, right? The divisions between Jew and Gentile. In every book, in every New Testament letter, every church that Paul planted, he's writing back to them saying, you are one people together. Meaning that there were conflicts of division. Unity is not easy. It only happens if God blesses it. So, how does this apply to us as the church? Well, what is the church? We talked about this a little bit last week. Actually, a couple of the passages I looked at last week when we were looking at what does it mean that God builds the house, 
right? And the city, it protects the city, right? We, we said that those things are referring to the kingdom of God and to the church, right? And so we're going to look at some of those similar themes this morning. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through uh, 22, it says this, so, you, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are His house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. Now remember, in the first century, this statement is incredibly radical. Gentiles. Those who have been apart from God's people. Those who cannot enter into the temple are now members of God's family through Jesus. Jesus has now made a way for all people anywhere, no matter who you are or where you're from, to come into God's family. To be a member of God's household. This is incredibly radical. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through Him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. So, we are God's family, right? We are God's temple. We talked about this a little bit last week. Now, we're going to connect this a little bit with the priesthood idea as well. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So, we are a temple, we are a family, and we are priests. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust Him recognize the honor God has given Him. But for those who reject Him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And He is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's Word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. He's speaking to the church. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For He called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you had received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. In the combination of these two passages, we learn a lot about who the church is. You, the church of Jesus Christ, are God's family. You are God's house, that is, His temple. You are living stones in the temple of God. Living stones built together into God's temple. You are holy priests. A chosen people. Royal priests. A holy nation. God's very own possession. You used to have no identity, but now you are God's people. You used to experience no mercy, but now you have experienced God's mercy. Okay, so, so we got to get this now. This is where hopefully you're starting to see the connections. I got really excited about this this week when I was working on this to see these connections between 1 Peter and Ephesians and Psalm 133. Let's put these things together. 
Unity is as precious, or sorry, unity is precious. Brotherhood and sisterhood, the family of God together, right, is precious. Back to Psalm 133. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Brothers, right? That's family language. The family of God. It's precious like the overflowing priestly anointing. It's precious like the dew feeding the valley. It's precious like the temple mount and its blessings. And the church, the church is the family of God. The church is the royal priesthood. And the church is the temple. The church is these things. So the church is the fulfillment of the unity that the psalmist is looking at. The church is the fulfillment of this precious thing that David longs for. The brotherhood of God's people together. The preciousness of it. The church is the fulfillment of it. And it's actually also the fulfillment of the pictures of the preciousness of unity. It's sort of a double fulfillment here. What is the overflowing oil of the priestly anointing? Well, it's not just Aaron and his sons, but all of God's people anointed as the priests. You see the difference here? Aaron and his sons were anointed as priests for God's people. But it was just Aaron and his sons and then the priestly line, right? There were priests. But what does Peter say? He says, you, the church, are all priests. You are all given the special anointing of God to be priests in God's temple. You, the church, are given the overflowing anointing oil by the gifting of the Holy Spirit. What is the overflow of blessings like Mount Hermon feeding the valley and the Temple Mount granting God's dwelling with His people? Well, it's not just one physical location of the temple that we must ascend to together, but the people of God. Living stones as the temple, the dwelling place of God, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see, the church is the fulfillment of what it means to be the temple of God. And the church is the fulfillment of what it means to be priests before God. And the church is the fulfillment of what it means to be the family of God. All of these mixed metaphors, which the Scriptures use all the time, all put together to be the church, the family of God, and a royal priesthood by the gifting of the Holy Spirit, and a temple by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this unity in the midst of the diversity of the people of God is the fulfillment of God's promises to us in Jesus. Because of the work of Jesus... Because of His coming to earth, because of His life lived on the earth, because of His death on the cross, and because of His resurrection, the people of God are now brought in from all nations, Jew and Gentile together into the holy temple of God's people, and they are united together as God's family. This is globally, objectively true. The church... The church throughout all of time, if you think about this, the one institution throughout all of time that is the most diverse global institution is the church of Jesus Christ. 
throughout all of human history, throughout all of the world, the church has been this reality. This global, connected, beautiful, diverse bride of Christ. From people from all walks of life, from all nations, from all languages, all ethnicities and races, all together as God's people. This is who you are. If the church is the fulfillment of this precious unity, you, City Hope, are a part of that. We are a part of this, both the visible church that exists throughout the globe right now, and the invisible church, which is all of God's people throughout all of time. You are connected to them as living stones in the same temple. This global, multi-ethnic, diverse, and unified people of God, this is who you are. It's why things like Christian nationalism and, and these, these ideas that exist are such a betrayal of the Gospel. Because you are not fundamentally a part of a nation. I mean, you are. That's important. That's a reality. We don't lose who we are when we become a part of the family of God. But you are a temple. And that temple is a global temple which includes people from all over the world. You have more in common with believers in Jesus on the other side of the globe than you do with other people who you share everything with who don't follow Jesus. That is more fundamentally who you are. You are brothers and sisters with those across the globe who follow Jesus who are very different from you. And that is your primary allegiance. If you are following Jesus, you are part of that temple. That people. Is that how we think? Is that how we pray? When we pray about things that are happening on the other side of the globe, do we think about primarily our own interests or our nation's interests, or anything along those lines, or do we primarily think about the interests of Jesus and the care of God's people and the issues that Jesus and His kingdom care about? We have more in common with other Christians who are vastly different from us ethnically, politically, socially than we do with those who share all of those things but don't follow Jesus. That is the unity of God's people. That's why the church was so incredibly radical in the first century. In the book of Acts, when you get to uh, the church in Antioch, we've talked a lot about the church in Antioch here as a church. The church in Antioch was started by unknown folks. It just says some believers went there and they preached the gospel. And it becomes the mission-sending place. It's where Paul is sent out of. It's this radical new place and it's this place that has people from all over the place. All ethnicities and races and socioeconomic statuses and politics and all these things. All together, rich and poor together, all of these folks. Together as God's people. And it says in the text in Acts 11 that this is the first place that they were called Christians. They had to come up with a name for this group because they didn't know what to call them. Because if you looked at them, you couldn't say... Oh, well, they're all this. They're all that. Like, th what, what would you call a group of people that all were together in one space? Well, you find the thing that is most in common with all of them. And they were like, 
uh, there's, there's nothing. This doesn't make any sense. Who are these people? Why are they together? Why would these people hang out with those people? I thought they were enemies. Why are they together? Well, they keep talking about this Christ. We'll call them Christians. It's the only way they could identify them. This wasn't how life worked in the first century. Oh, that this would be true of us as a church. Is this true of us as a church in America right now? Can we look out at churches and say, there's nothing that identifies this group of people more than Jesus? Oftentimes that's not the case. Oftentimes there are ways that we can identify the group of people that are gathered at a church that there, there are other things that unify them together that's not just Jesus, right? This is why we have the mission we have as a church. To be a diverse people. Saved by Jesus, centered on Jesus, and sent by Jesus. What does it mean that we would be defined by Jesus first and last? That when people looked at City Hope, they would say, that doesn't make any sense. Well, they already say that, but maybe for other reasons. But, but, That doesn't make any sense. Why would those people be together? Why is that a thing? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Why? Now, now here's the question, though. Why is this the way that God set up for the church? Have you ever thought that? Like, why do we have this mission as a church? Why is this multi-ethnic thing, this gospel unified diversity, why is this such a big deal to us? Well, first of all, it's literally just what the church is. It's the family of God from all nations. That's literally just who we are. So if you're part of Jesus, that's who you are. Whether you want to or not, that's who you are. When you sign up for Jesus, you sign up for the global family of God. So if you ha- struggle with with, uh, with ethnocentrism and racism and all those things in us, which means you're human, right? Because we all struggle with that stuff. We've got to be purified by that in the Gospel because you've joined a movement that includes people from all walks of life, from all nations, from all tongues, from all tribes. That's what you are if you are a Christian. Right? When uh, There are times, right, when you uh, are dating someone, and then you meet their family, and you're like, woof, I don't know about that. I don't really like this person, but I don't, I don't like that family. I don't know about that. But when you marry them, you get their family. It's not a, it's not a thing that you get to just be like, no, no, I like you, and I'm going to pluck you out of the family and take you over here. When you sign up for Jesus, you sign up for His family. So if you don't like that, well, we got to wrestle through that, right? we got to wrestle through that. So it's literally just who we are. But here's the other thing. The church is the family of God. This royal priesthood by the gifting of the Holy Spirit and a temple by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this unity and diversity is the fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus. But what does David say about this unity? What does he say about it? This text... The, the NLT translation doesn't quite grasp the Hebrew here, how wonderful and pleasant it is. The first word is really behold. 
David's like, come, marvel with me for a moment. There's this thing, and it's beautiful. Come look at it. Come look at this thing with me. The reality is, as difficult, as frustrating, as challenging, as being confronted with your own sinful responses to other people, your own othering of people, all of that junk that comes up when you try and make diversity and unity work, all that stuff, it's worth it because the thing itself is beautiful. Because this kind of unity and diversity is precious. It's precious. It's like the anointing of oil on the priests. A royal priesthood. When the body of Christ works like this, it's beautiful. It's precious. This royal priesthood by the gifting of the Holy Spirit, right? This, this overabundant anointing that we talked about, right? Moses spilled the whole bottle on Aaron, right? In this, in this image. That's what the Holy Spirit has done to the church. He spilled the whole blessing out. We get every spiritual blessing in Christ. We get all the gifts. We get all the stuff. We are together as the body of Christ gifted by the Holy Spirit to be a royal priesthood. Now that body imagery that is used throughout the New Testament for the church includes, it's connected to to temple imagery and it's connected to spiritual gifts, right? Like every time Paul brings up the body of Christ, he talks about spiritual gifts that we are given. Teaching, preaching, serving, right? Mercy, healing, all of these things put together, right? This, this diverse people given all of these spiritual gifts. But every time he brings it up also, you know what else he brings up? Diverse people. Jew and Gentile together. All of that. Right? Sometimes when we talk about the body, we focus our attention on the spiritual gift side of things because if we looked at the other side of things, we don't really reflect that. Right? Like the Jew-Gentile together thing, we don't always really reflect that. And so we focus our attention on the idea of, like, well, the, the giftings. The Spirit has gifted us differently. We're all different. That's absolutely true. But if you look at that text, it's also talking about people. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles. Some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one Spirit. And we all share the same Spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand... That does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each just where He wants it. How strange, would it, how strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. See, in this context, certainly, we are talking about spiritual gifts. Right? 
We can't all be gifted in the exact same way and make it function, right? That's not how it works. Absolutely. But do you know the most direct context? What did he say at the very beginning? The body has many parts, makes up a one whole. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles. Some are slaves, some are free. That's not spiritual gifts. That's the multi-ethnic people of God. And it says... No one who's a part of the body can say, that part of the body that I don't like isn't part of the body. That part of the body that I don't like or don't talk to, I, I, I can't. I don't need them. No, it says you need them. You need them. That's why racial and ethnic division and hatred is so offensive to God and to the Gospel. Because this is the very thing that Jesus is accomplishing. He's making a people made up of all people coming together under Jesus. The priesthood of all believers is about the unity of the church in the diversity of its gifts and of its members. Not just their functions, but their persons. We are valued as people in God's eyes. And we are united together in this way. So the precious anointing of the priestly oil, the Spirit of God gifting the church, that is a diverse people and their diverse spiritual gifts united together under King Jesus as a royal priesthood. That's who we are. We are also precious like the dew coming down from Mount Hermon, like the temple on Mount Zion giving blessings to the world around us. You, Christians, are a temple indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God dwelled in the temple with His people, right? God's presence was there with His people in the temple. God's presence now in the world today is through His people by His Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Dwelling in you, yes, individually for sure, but individually because you're a part of this collective known as the church. A temple isn't a very great temple as a collection of bricks. Right? That's not a temple. What did it say? You are living stones being built together as a temple. So the idea that we as Christians can function in our Christian life following Jesus apart from one another is like a collection of bricks looking at it and saying, man, that's a great looking temple. Man, look at all those bricks scattered around the world. That looks awesome. No, no, no. Stones built together as a temple. All of this means that this precious unity needs to be built and fit together. Which means, you know, I I don't do a lot of uh, stone laying, but I'm pretty sure that's hard work. And sometimes stones don't really want to fit next to each other. Yeah, shave a little off this one, shave a little off that one, and put them together to make something beautiful. You know what's going to happen if we try to build a unified temple in this place? We're going to have to shave a little off of this, shave a little off of that. We're actually going to have to be sanctified. We're actually not going to be able to be left to our own. We're actually going to have to be challenged to grow and change. We're actually going to have to get a little uncomfortable to get close, to build something beautiful. That's how this thing works. 
For us as City Hope, this means that we need to be our diverse selves and our united whole. We need to be the diverse, multi-ethnic people of God that we are. We need to know and experience what our giftings and role are and then express them. God has gifted, if you are in Christ, God has gifted every one of you for a role in this church because you're here right now, right? Like, God doesn't just, when, when God is doing His work in the world, He doesn't just say, like, randomly, haphazardly, here's some gifts, and wherever you are, it'll be fine. No, He is sovereignly placing you at this season of your life, in this place, with your gifts And we need those gifts. I need those gifts. Right? Not expressing your gifts, both your spiritual giftings and how you serve, and also the gift that is yourself. The gift that is yourself, your person, your diverse life and upbringing and all of those things. If you don't bring that here, well, well, we're missing something. We need you. That's what, like, we need that. So not bringing it is not just like uh, denying yourself the opportunity to serve in some way. You're also denying all of us from experiencing that blessing. We can't do this thing without us all giving of ourselves to it. But we also have to be united together. We have to build something. Not just randomly throw some bricks together, right? We're building something. And as we said last week, unless the Lord builds it, there's no hope. But if there's going to be unity, that means there has to be love. Right? You know the famous chapter that is read at all weddings, right? 1 Corinthians 13. You know where that falls? Right after 12? Look at my math skills, Jim. Come on, you're impressed, right? All right. So 13, right? Right after 12 and right before 14. You know what 14's about? Body of Christ. You know what 12's about? Body of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that 1 Corinthians 13 has nothing to do with marriage. It certainly does. But the primary way in which that passage functions is love in the body of Christ. If we don't have love that is patient and kind and long-suffering, well, this whole thing is over. It's not going to work. Especially if you bring people who are very different from each other together, it's a recipe for disaster, right? If, if I lay out everything I just laid out for you, and we think about it not in like kind of theoretical big picture, like, oh yes, the church is this global, you know, that's beautiful, all nations. You know what you got to do? You got to get people from all those things together. Actual people. Think about actual people in your head right now who are most different from you. That's the people I'm talking about. Actual people. You get all actual people who are different from each other together in a room. That is a disaster. Apart from the Holy Spirit doing a thing. Apart from love. Apart from love in which you say, I will lay down my preference because I love you. You know, early on at City Hope, one of the things I said often was, if we're going to do this thing, you're going to need to learn how to do things you hate with people you love. 
activities, hobbies, whatever it is, right? And I remember one of my favorite examples of this was uh, when uh, Rome took this to heart and uh, joined the, the City Hope softball team. It was a treat for everybody. It was a treat for everybody, let me tell you. But he said it's because this idea of like, no, 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 these are people I love. This is not something I want to do, but these are people I love, and I want to learn how to love these people better. That's what this thing is. Learning how to love together. It means an alignment in mission. One of the things that uh, Pastor Scaife, the Pastor uh, Scaife over at Union Missionary said about this text uh, in uh, one of his remarks, he said that, that this text is about alignment, right? The oil is poured on Aaron's head, runs down his beard, runs down his robe. Mount Hermon is north of Zion, runs down, runs down to the people, right? It's about alignment. It's not about conformity, Right? Unity is not about us conforming to something together. It's about us being aligned on mission together. Right? On mission together. Aligned together in loving Jesus across race, ethnicity, and socioeconomic place. Now, this is true for the church. Now, when we talk about the church, right, we got to say, like, the church is scattered around the world and also scattered around our city. So, texts like this, sometimes people are like, look at texts like this and they're like, okay, Let's get rid of all the churches and let's all just be one. I don't think that's what it's saying here. Like, I don't think that's how it works, right? I, I absolutely believe in the local church, and the local church means that we are distinct in meeting in different places. However, that doesn't mean we're not aligned. All the churches that are meeting in this city right now who are preaching the gospel and a part of the kingdom of God, we are brothers and sisters with them right now. We are aligned with them right now. So it doesn't mean we have to uh, like join all together in uh, uh, some sort of one big unified uh, institution. However, it does mean that we love and care about them and we pray for them and we do things with them and we care about them. Those are the things that we are about. Obviously, we, we do a joint service with Deliverance Temple. That's one of our expressions of that. We love other churches in our city, and we want to continue to love other churches in our city. But what's at stake with this text for us? Well, how we love one another reflects Jesus. And also the sweetness of the gospel is shown to be sweet by the sweetness of the fellowship of God's people. You know how hard it is to say, come, come. We've got this God who loves us so much, so come hang out with this group of people who kind of hate each other. Right? Like, that doesn't work. Right? If we're inviting people into the gospel, we need to invite them into a community that loves one another, that has experienced the goodness of the gospel, and wants to love one another. Oh, that City Hope would be that precious oil and that Precious do. Now, we need to say that that doesn't mean that we avoid problems or challenges or difficulties. No, that's not true. There is a kind of unity that says we need to be united, so don't challenge anything or confront anything. Just get in line. Now, that's a false unity. That's not real. That's not what we want to be about. Real unity is about us actually bringing those things to the table and being willing to have those uncomfortable things because 
we want to be unified together. It doesn't mean that we ignore injustice or pain. We can't disobey some of the commands of Jesus in seeking to obey other commands of Jesus, right? Like, we can't do that. We can't be like, well, we can avoid these things because we're all about this one thing, unity, right? Like, that's not how it works. But, real love for one another means that we love brothers and sisters together. Well, how do we do that? How are we to do that? Well, remember I said the psalm begins with the word behold, not become. This is not a psalm that says, yo, people of God, become like this. It's a psalm that says, behold, this is the people of God. Right? The the pictures are one of descent. Aaron is having oil poured on his head and then it's running down. Mount Hermon, the dew runs down. Mount Zion, the blessings come down. Derek Kidner, in his commentary on this passage, says, In short, true unity, like all good gifts, from, is from above, bestowed rather than contrived, a blessing far more than an achievement. City Hope, if we do this mission that we are after, it is not something that we say, Look, we did it, check off the box. No, this is a blessing bestowed upon us, a grace. It's not possible unless Jesus does it. So for us as a church, this is going to be constantly tested. What does it mean for us to love one another as brothers and sisters? Here at City Hope, how do we do that? Well, it's only by our connection with Jesus. It's only by seeing His grace. It's only by experiencing Him that we can then extend love to others. It's something that we pray for more than we work for. It's something like we said last week. Unless the Lord builds the house, we work in vain. It's a grace that God would bestow upon us. And so we will pray that that is true and we will seek to experience Jesus together. And as we experience Jesus together, let's behold Him do something amazing. Let's behold Him do something precious. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to You now and we are in awe of who You are and what You've done. Lord, we are challenged. We are challenged to love You more. We are challenged to love one another more. We are challenged, Jesus, to see this precious unity on display here in this local body. We want to be a body. A full body. Not just made up of one part. Not one that ignores other parts. Not one that says we don't need other parts. Lord, we want to be Your body. And so Jesus, would You be at work in powerful ways and would You extend to us Your grace that we would be transformed and be more and more like You, Jesus. Would you be honored in all this? We, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We'll stand and sing in response.